Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, the taps are running dry today. But this was the fountain right here on the bank of the Guadalete River that supplied drinking water to all of those ships that crossed the Atlantic to the Americas, which then was still unknown. An incredible and essential kind of role in history this fairly unassuming fountain had for the future of the world, really. So there you go, the Fuente de las Galeras Reales. I thought that was the best place to start this new episode of the Wedding Spain podcast. A very warm welcome to you wherever you're listening from. You're joining me, as you probably have guessed from the title, in the Andalus town of El Puerto de Santa Maria. I absolutely fell in love with this place over 10 years ago, the first time I came here uh, to the feria, in fact, of El Puerto de Santa Maria. <laughs> Wild times way back then. For me, El Puerto de Santa Maria is a kind of overlooked corner of of Andalusia and certainly an overlooked town in the province of Cadiz. El Puerto de Santa Maria, a town which is surrounded by such luminaries as Cadiz, just across the bay there, and Sevilla and Jerez de la Frontera. It's easy for maybe somewhere like El Puerto de Santa Maria to slip down the page into the small print and it really shouldn't. It's a super accessible city easy to spend a leisurely weekend here I would say if not more we're here for a, in fact a couple of weeks and using it as a base to try out a few beaches um, probably make a visit to Cadiz as well which is just across the bay you can uh, catch a catamaran in fact to Cadiz from here it's about a 20 minute crossing uh, if the waters are smooth. I've talked about Cadiz in the past and if you if you love Cadiz then I think you'll really love El Puerto. It's a kind of uh, little sister if you like. It's smaller, it's got a kind of slightly fallen down charm about it. It's a typical Andalus slice of Spain from the smell of fried seafood in the air, the ubiquity of sherry and bodegas, the noise and colour and the volume levels turned up ever so slightly more down here. The architecture, the beautiful kind of crumbling whitewashed facades of buildings and the mustard and the yellow and the burgundy and the tropical palms and also just how uh, smartly dressed a lot of people are down here in Andalusia. don't know if it's me or if anyone else has noticed it as well, I think the uh, Andalusias do have a little bit of a, uh, a habit of making the effort to dress up, even if they're just going out for the paseo. I would say more than the uh, madrileños anyway, you know, a crisp ironed shirt for the guys, nice crisp white cream chinos, uh, and the girls and the, the women in, uh, in smart dresses as well, I've noticed. Anyway, I digress. Where I'm standing now, where I'm talking to you from, I'm looking out across the Guadalete River. Now this river actually rises way up in the uh, Grazalema Natural Park, runs all the way down into the Bay of Cadiz, uh, which is just down to my right. Um, but I'm just looking at the river now. So we're in the Guadalete River, which flows past El Puerto de Santa Maria. Um, we're just slightly north of Cadiz, where we are now. Interestingly, I know that Wad 
often means water in Arabic, so lots of names in Spanish which begin with wad, derived from the Arabic word wadi, I think, for water. Guadalete apparently means the river of forgetfulness. And I don't know why forgetfulness comes into the story. But anyway, apparently that's the etymology of Guadalete. I'm looking out into it now. The fjord fishing boats moored up. Uh, it's not uh, especially beautiful. The other side you've got some uh, a motorway and power lines and uh, a few kind of industrial buildings and complexes and gas stations and a uh, kind of harbour side with a few bigger shipping, uh, with a few bigger fishing boats moored up. And then if you follow the river down, you come out into the Bay of Cadiz and just across the bay you've got Cadiz. But why would you want to go to Cadiz when you've got El Puerto de Santa Maria, which is more intimate, more charming in a way, more workaday, more real. So let's dive into a little bit of history as I gaze out across the Guadalete and the beautiful power lines in the distance, but don't let that put you off because <laughs> the city itself is actually very charming and very pretty. According to the, the legend in the Odyssey of Homer, uh, following the Trojan War, uh, Menestheus, a Greek official, escaped with some of his troops through the Strait of Gibraltar uh, and he reached the Guadalete River. They established a town called Menestha Port uh, with an oracle and it's recorded that the inhabitants of Cadiz offered sacrifices at the oracle of Menestheus. The Moors then named the town Alicante, Port of Salt, while we know of another city that retained that name. Uh, so the Port of Salt, due to the enormous areas of salt pans created by the Phoenicians and the Romans. It was then Alfonso X of Castile who, having retaken the town for the Christians from the Moors in 1260, renamed the port Santa Maria del Puerto. Alfonso Apparently he suffered from swollen legs and was miraculously cured following a visit to his church, the Santa Maria do Porto. He then bestowed a royal charter on the town that allows it to use the prefix El. So it's always El Puerto, it's not Puerto de Santa Maria, it's El, El Puerto de Santa Maria. An honour that is not even granted to Madrid. So there you go, El Puerto. It's not Puerto de Santa Maria, it's always El Puerto de Santa Maria, which is quite funny when you want to add de to it. So it's not del Puerto de Santa Maria, it's de el Puerto de Santa Maria. Anyway, I hope that's cleared that up. Um, but Santa, uh, El Puerto, as the locals often just refer to it as El Puerto. Now, it's alleged, and there's a lot of conflicting information about this, so I'd be interested for anyone who listens to this to get in touch and clear it up a bit, but I'll try my best, that uh, Cristobal Colón, Christopher Columbus, set out from Cadiz on his second voyage, 1493 to 96, uh, to the Americas and organised this trip from El Puerto, among other places. In contrast to the first trip, not with three, but with 17 ships, and as a result, El Puerto de Santa Maria profited greatly from trade with the uh, colonies. One of those boats was called Nina. There's a replica of Nina, and uh, just over there, if I look across to the horizon on a fairly ugly roundabout, there's a replica, a wooden replica built of Nina, which was one of those ships used on that, on that expedition. So there's some tenuous history with Christopher Columbus about on one of those expeditions did he actually sail from here in El Puerto de Santa Maria or not. Stay tuned to a little bit later I talk about the Castillo de San Marco and there's a little bit more uh, interesting history about Christopher Columbus and indeed uh, those ships and the guy who sold those ships to him or at least those ships to him called uh, Juan de la Casa but in terms of expeditions setting out from El Puerto we're not sure and uh, it's actually believed that uh, Columbus actually started his first voyage from Palos which is a small port near Huelva and then his second and uh, fourth expeditions from Cadiz and then his third expedition from San Luca so I don't know whether El Puerto has tried to cash in a little bit on that fame one thing that is for sure though is that El Puerto forms part of the Sherry Triangle. So El Puerto de Santa Maria together with Jerez 
de la Frontera and San Luca de Barameda form the three cities, form the Sherry Triangle. I guess Jerez is probably the most well-known and maybe the larger centre of uh, production. But there is a very uh, prominent presence of Sherry Bodegas here in El Puerto de Santa Maria, and there has been for several hundred years, in fact. And I'll talk a bit more about Sherry and Bodegas a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, yes, yeah, so we are part of the Sherry Triangle and only fortified wines produced in one of those three cities uh, can actually be called sherry by the uh, designation of origin, the or the D-O. As you head in towards the, what I would class as the historic center of El Puerto, uh, you really, well, not far from almost in the center, really. You, you can't really miss them. Are a, a network, a lattice, a crisscross of streets of bodegas, of wineries, many of which have long since closed down. Um, and really, what characterizes these bodegas and these kind of neighborhoods, really, of bodegas are long streets with uh, one story buildings stretching entire blocks of you know hundreds of meters and these bodegas are and these bodegas have these uh, facades painted in cream whitewashed in cream and white and mustard and shades of yellow they all have these quite high up um, arched windows with bars high enough that you can't see in really and they have these beautiful archways with wooden doors painted in greens and burgundies. Some of the bodegas, which are still going, have their, their names and their branding almost uh, stenciled onto the uh, whitewashed walls. And for me, they really characterize this part of Andalusia, where obviously, as I said, in the Sherry Triangle, and uh, you will see the same thing in Jerez and, and also in San Luca as well. Um, and I think they're really beautiful. What's interesting is how many of them have been left to kind of rot and decay. I'm standing opposite one now, which is, uh, has a green wooden doorway and a beautiful kind of intricately designed patterned uh, kind of iron work above the door and carved golden stone. The date above the door says 1822. And nobody's been in here for a very long time because the, the roof just inside that I can see is gone. There are a few kind of rotten wooden beams falling down. Um, but what I love about it is that the nature has taken over inside. And it's full of fig trees. You have these fig trees. I can tell by the, the shape of the leaf. If I look further down the street, there's another on the, literally the next block. There is a, a bodega there, disused, empty. Uh, with a fig tree growing out of the window into the street. And I love it, they're so decadent and uh, have this kind of run-down charm about them, which for me really characterizes El Puerto. And of course the functioning bodegas, you walk in and you have this huge open courtyard. Probably a, a sandy courtyard with some cloisters and then around the edges is where you'd have the actual bodegas storing the wine in barrels with the little windows left open to let the salty sea air of the town drift in and help give sherry wine its uh, very unique uh, terroir, its character. But I just love the, uh, the fact that you can walk along around these crisscross of streets with these beautiful single-story whitewashed facades on each side of the street which kind of close the street in and they have their lanterns and they're big imposing closed doorways and occasionally you get a bit of branding on the outside of the bodega uh, here for example I'm just walking down a street called uh, Golondrina Golondrina is a type of bird but I can't remember which type of bird it is is it like a skylark? I'm not sure um, and just in front of me there's a bodega called uh, 501 and it's got 501 written on the outside of the bodega walls you've got the typical arched windows with the uh, rejas the uh, 
sort of a metal bars and then it's or each window is kind of outlined in a kind of mustard yellow color and the building is uh, the the porticos of the door are kind of outlined in, in mustard as well and then just above it looks like this bodega was extended so I think most of these really date to the kind of 18 the kind of mid 1800s around that sort of time this one looks like it's been extended with a more modern addition and then again on the roof of the building we've got in great big giant red uh, numbers the brand 501 as well um, which I imagine that looks like that would uh, or used to light up with neon lights inside and there's a seagull perched on top of the number one so they have a kind of grandeur to them a, a definitely kind of an element of sort of faded glory in a way but I just love this uh, expansive network of, of streets just outside the city and for me, as we walk around this network of streets with these beautiful kind of faded, peeling facades of these old bodegas with their archways painted in these pastel colours, sometimes interspersed by these old, decadent, slightly crumbling townhouses with their banana trees in their gardens and the occasional palm poking out above the walls, for me, really is reminiscent of some cities that I visited in in Latin America uh, you know there's no getting away from the fact there are definitely little corners of El Puerto that remind me of maybe some of the back streets of Havana or maybe the old historic quarter of Bogota which I visited last year with Karina. I think if someone blindfolded me and dropped me here and said right tell me where you are you know, apart from some small details, I think in general I could say, yeah, I feel like I'm in, uh, in Latin America. So as I walk down the street, just on the left, one of the most ubiquitous and famous names in Sherry. And I'm just walking the, along past the big black letters above my head now, Osborne or Osborne, Osborne Sherry. Osborne Winery is right here on the left hand side again extends a huge a whole block this does obviously look in much better repair than uh, the many of the other wineries which have long since gone and uh, yeah, quite a stark facade the windows are high up um, with their metal bars and then massive Osborne in uh, black they're kind of cut out in wood and stuck on the wall big black letters um and then a big black uh, metal door in fact the osborne is it's so it's huge i mean we must be talking a couple of hundred meters this this long facade one story from the outside the window is really high up almost just next to the level of the roof and then a big black shuttered doorway If you're a sherry connoisseur or even if you just like the odd tipple of sherry occasionally you're probably familiar with the uh, Osborne brand of sherry that is one of the oldest uh, brands of sherry that exists from right here in El Puerto de Santa Maria and it's uh, not only one of the oldest sherry brands it's one of the oldest companies wine firms in Spain and it was actually founded as many of them were and the names are quite often a giveaway uh, by an Englishman an English entrepreneur called Thomas Osborne Mann and I'm just going to interject there and say if you're really interested in sherry and the different types of sherry and where to try it and how to drink it and what to pair it with and a much more detailed history of sherry do check back to an episode I did a couple of years ago uh, on sherry with a wonderful expert on sherry uh, called Annie B from Annie B's kitchen and she's based in the uh, little beautiful hilltop village of 
Becha de la Frontera, not, not too far from here. And she organises tastings um, and she's a, 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 a qualified expert in, in sherry. Go and check back to that episode. But I'll give you a little outline of uh, the Osborne brand at least. So founded by an English entrepreneur, Thomas Osborne Mann, and he started shipping his own sherries in, uh, 18, in 1804. He started exporting his own sherry from right here in El Puerto de Santa Maria in 1804, um, really predominantly to the, uh, to the United Kingdom, where sherry had become really, really popular. Initially, he was using the bodegas of James Duff from the uh, legendary Duff Gordon Company, and he was using his bodegas just to store his wines. Then in 1833, Thomas Osborne became a partner in the Duff Gordon business and in 1872 the Osborne family acquired all of the shares and nowadays Osborne uh, say that they were founded in 1772 but that's uh, kind of strange really because that's before Thomas Osborne even arrived here but anyway uh, the Osborne name uh, has always been used exclusively for the Spanish market and uh, Osborne took over the Duff Gordon brand as well and all of the original bodegas. So I've now reached the end of the block along which stretches the entire Osborne uh, bodega. And uh, it says here at the end, we're on the junction of the Calle Comedias and Los Moros and uh, just attached to the main frontage of the Osborne uh, bodega is of course the famous kind of silhouette black bull that you see all over Spain. It's almost become a kind of brand of Spain I think um, really. The kind of typical big black bull, uh, bull billboard that you see along the side of uh, autopistas motorways and if this you may not have known this, but those bulls were originally Osborne uh, branding. They used to have, that is Osborne's iconic logo. And those bulls were not set up along motorways for fun or to advertise bulls or bullfighting or Spain or anything like that. Those bulls that you see all are scattered all around Spain, I think there are about 90 of them, were actually Osborne advertising for the Sherry brand. As I understand it, they used to actually have uh, Osborne written across them. But originally, the Black Bull was used as a logo for their popular brandy called Veterano. And then it gradually grew in popularity and became the, uh, the symbol for the entire company. The first bull was uh, placed alongside the A1 highway in Madrid in 1957. And they are huge when you get up close to them. Um, but there are some of them which are about 14 meters high and they used to carry the now the interesting thing is they are painted black they used to carry the name osborne written on them but apparently in 1988 a law prohibited all kinds of billboards next to roads and so they had to be all painted out that was the compromise that was met that they were all painted out and painted black. I'm not quite sure how true that is though, because nowadays you see huge amounts of motorway advertising uh, billboards absolutely everywhere. Uh, nowadays there are 90 of these big black uh, Osborne Toros scattered all across Spain. If you're visiting Spain and uh, you want to definitely make sure you hit a few of these uh, black bulls on your drive, there's actually a Google map um, set up by Osborne, which has all of the uh, bulls marked on it, so that you can you can find them. I walk around the corner here and look through a glass window, and it looks very posh, very elegant-looking bar called uh, Toro, and there are very immaculately set tables and chairs with wine glasses and sherry glasses, and there are uh, there's a very modern-looking bar. So this looks this looks very new. This is the kind of place which has now been designed for tastings and more for tourism. Uh, this beautiful vaulted ceiling and archways. It really gives you an idea looking in of the scale of the bodegas from the inside. 
just how big they would be. As I've continued along past uh, the entrance to the uh, kind of restaurant bar, there's a green, big green wooden door open. I thought I'd stick my head in. And this is absolutely beautiful. Um, there's a kind of outdoor courtyard shaded by sort of two avenues of trees. They look like the uh, jacaranda trees, the ones that have those beautiful purple flowers that are not out at the moment with just immaculately laid out tables and lamps and strings of white lights. In the distance I can see Osborne in a kind of white neon letters and there's a, a guy there setting out glasses on these uh, high tables. On each side you've got these beautiful whitewashed, uh, one looks like a, an old townhouse dripped in ivy and it's a completely idyllic setting, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, I imagine people will be coming here later to do uh, tastings. I'm just going to walk in a bit. There's no one here, only the staff. And actually this is the way ah, I see. So you walk around this way to get into the, uh, into the, into the bodega, into the actual building inside. Uh, but it's absolutely beautiful, really, really, really pretty. This will be an amazing place to come and try some sherry. So I imagine this is where you can come and eat. There I can see a menu and you can do some different uh, sherry tastings uh, uh, here as well. Uh, there's a little sign saying Recepción and an arrow with a bull. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. What an idyllic little spot. You can see the Burgonvilla purple flowers dripping off the building a bit further down this, this courtyard super romantic place to come and uh, enjoy a meal and a, and a little uh, copita of sherry. Okay, so we're going to carry on heading away from this uh, network of streets with all of the bodegas and it's not really one neighbourhood, it's kind of a, a couple of neighbourhoods really that are kind of interconnected where you see all of these uh, bodegas. Um, and just what I really love here, I'm walking down the street on my left hand side. There are kind of modern-ish, I guess they're probably built in the 50s, 40s or 50s, three-storey apartment blocks. Um, but each block <laughs> is named after a sherry wine and I'm, for anyone who's been to Andalusia before and you look up and you see the street names on the sides of buildings, uh, they tend to be traditionally tiled, unlike in Madrid where they're normally on a blue kind of metal plaque. You'll find that in Andalusia, um, most of the uh, street signs uh, in Seville, in the big cities, are made up. Each letter is like an individual white tile with a black letter on, and, uh, and here they are here. But what I love about this is they've named each little street or little alleyway for each of these apartment blocks after, <laughs> after wine. The first one is called the uh, Plazuela de las Bodegas, the Bodega Square, the little, little Bodega Square. The next one is Vino Amontillado. Uh, the next one is Vino Oloroso <laughs> and I know that there's another one called Vino Fino because I saw it <laughs> the other day when I was walking past here and it kind of tickled me. I thought, how, how cool is that? It's really nice. Imagine saying, which I live on, uh, you know, Oloroso Wine Street. <laughs> So as we head along these just utterly charming streets, Federico Rubio on the corner here, uh, it says hostel on this <laughs> falling down, peeling, two-story balcony building, green iron balconies. There's a kind of tree growing out of the balcony that was not supposed to be there. And the balcony doors are still open and there's an old curtain blowing in the breeze but all the windows are broken. All of the masonry is falling off. This place hasn't been inhabited for years and on the side it says En Alquiler. Uh, this place is for rent. I think not really for rent. It is a massive uh, reforming, as they say in Spanish, uh, reformar, it needs to be redone completely, refurbished, renovated. That's what I'm looking for. And this whole block on the corner here, it's so beautiful, this kind of run-down charm. 
of old balconies there's an old TV aerial hanging off one of them there's another kind of tree growing out of the side of the building further down and there's a guy stood in the street here in a fluorescent yellow vest I don't know what he's doing he's sort of, he's sort of half-heartedly directing traffic but I'm not sure quite where or even if he's some kind of official guy he doesn't look like it Beautiful cobbled streets of two, three-storey kind of townhouses, balconies, whitewashed walls, mustard accenting of doors and windows and balconies. It's really, really beautiful. But the reason I've hit this part of town is because there are two really uh, kind of notable sites to see in El Puerto de Santa Maria here, where I am now. And one of them is called the Antigua Lonja de Pescado, which can only mean the fish market except not even the faintest whiff of a sardine today but it's got this beautiful arcaded arched uh, frontage which is uh, looks like it's in sandstone because it's kind of crumbling away it's a bit kind of discolored from probably I imagine pollution or traffic fumes over the years but it's got this lovely arched kind of cloister and railings and it dates back to 1776 and we're really really a few blocks away from the kind of estuary of the Guadalete river and so this would have been the kind of fish selling brought all under one roof a really beautiful building with uh, kind of ornate little turrets along the top um, and today it's uh, it's been taken over by bars and little restaurants it's not a very big building uh, although the bars and restaurants aren't open at the moment uh, kind of a shame we've got this beautiful old building old fish market dating back to the 1700s and then on the side it says Heineken <laughs> premium quality beer and then inside the main archway there's a sign that says gold which looks like some kind of modern bar but on the actual outside of the archway the original entrance it says el resbaladero and if i walk along to the end of the uh the kind of cloister here and uh, where there's a little street and make a left and go around the corner of the fish market the street there is also called el resbaladero Baladero. And I like this word because the verb in Spanish, little mini Spanish lesson here, uh, resbalar means to kind of slip, like you know, when you slip when you're walking, you slip on a banana skin. And the street here is called El Resbaladero, which literally in Spanish translates as the kind of, you know, slippery spot or slippery place. And it can also be maybe translated as like a, a chute that you slide down. But I think in this case, it's kind of like a slippery spot. And it makes sense, I guess, because the probably water and ice was dripping all over the floor here and then onto the pavement or the street. I guess it was really slippery. People, you know, uh, merchants bringing in the day's catch with ice and water. Well, whether they used ice back then, I don't know, to, to conserve it. Probably not. It's, it's quite a luxury to have uh, lots and lots of ice. But anyway, I imagine that's why it's called... Uh, <laughs> El Resbaladero, which I just think is wonderful. I mean, how kind of uh, evocative of, is that? Is that name of, for a fish market for the street, which is next to a fish market? So as I walk up, just behind uh, the fish market, um, anyone who comes to visit and walks this exact street, a little cobble street, just slightly inclined. You walk up and you see, again, an absolute classic sight in this part of Spain, really, or at least the style of it, is an old fortress or castle, really. It's a, it is a castle. Well, it is in fact the Castillo San Marcos, sandstone uh, wall and turrets with little towers at each end. And then inside you've got uh, more turreted towers and then uh, right in front of this uh, wall of the castle you've got uh, pomegranates pomegranate trees absolutely laden and the sun this evening is just clipping these golden turrets of the castillo san marco and uh, i'm going to walk around 
don't know if we can go in right now. Uh, as I talked to you, this is a, a, th a Thursday evening. It's about half past eight. But let's walk up to the side of the castle. On this side of the castle, it's quite interesting because this facade has had townhouses built onto the side of the old original kind of fortress wall. Um, but this was built by uh, King Alfonso in 1264 on and again this is a story which repeats itself a lot in Spain and particularly in Andalusia uh, this castle was built actually on the foundations of a mesquita of a of a mosque after the city was recaptured from the Moors it was founded in the 13th century by San Marcos and this is classed as the geographical center of El Puerto de Santa Maria so yeah really from here from the bodegas I was talking about to where I am now, that's been a 15-20 minute fairly leisurely walk. So there we go, founded in the 13th century. It was really built to protect really what was a small village. And again, this is another theme which I've talked about numerous times, especially on the Costa de la Luz in this part of Spain, well, and also further along the uh, southern coast of Spain as well. These little castles and fortresses were built to protect the village or the villagers and uh, the fishing industry or minerals or whatever it was, whatever the local industry was, was to protect it from regular and violent incursions of pirates turning up on the coast all along really the sort of south and southeastern coast of Spain, raiding the villages this is why this this was here it's often very it's often the case really as well why many uh, small towns and villages along the coast were not built on the sea itself they were built sort of several kilometers inland again as a kind of way of defending themselves against pirates uh, just as a an addition to what I mentioned earlier about uh, Colón, Christopher Columbus, uh, it was uh, allegedly here that in 1492 Christopher Columbus he tried to persuade the resident Duke of Medinacelli, or Medinacelli unsuccessfully I might add uh, to finance his first voyage of discovery across the Atlantic and uh, it was this castle that the trader Juan de la Casa who supplied Columbus's three ships, the uh, Santa Maria and the uh, Pinta and the Nina, names of the ships. It was right here in this castle that uh, Juan de la Cosa drew his, uh, his world map in 1500 and it was the first map of the world which included the American continent and that map was drawn up right here inside the walls that I'm looking at right now of this Castillo de San Marco. That's quite incredible to think isn't it that the map the first time that vast continent was ever penned onto a map of this planet right here in the quietly unassuming little town of El Puerto de Santa Maria. And as we walk around here, there's a little bit of life now. On one side of the castle, we've got a little square, there's some kids playing, a few people walking their dogs. The uh, terraza tables are starting to fill up. There are a few people there sitting down on this nice, cool, shady corner. There's a horse and carriage with a slightly forlorn-looking white horse. I guess they're little touristic tours they do. Don't do them, by the way, if you do come to Spain. Um, the horses tend to not be treated very well and there's uh, lots of kind of charities and organizations calling for tourists to not pay money to these people who guide their horses around and in fact just on that note uh, I think a horse died from heat exhaustion just last week in Seville so something to consider when you think it's a nice kind of romantic thing to do consider how well those horses are treated. So there we go, Castillo de San Marcos, here it is, starting to get into that golden hour now, coming up to about nine o'clock. There's 
lots of tables and chairs. It's pretty quiet still at the moment. Um, a few people sitting out. Um, and on my right hand side, uh, uh, an absolutely spectacularly looking, decadent, rundown, but beautiful and charming building called the uh, Hospital de San Juan de Dios. Whitewashed, little bell tower, big wooden doors studded with kind of brass circles, I don't know what you call them, studded with metal. The sun is just clipping the top of the little bell tower. You can see the bell exposed and uh, it's kind of golden light on this old flaky, crumbling, whitewashed building and then along, standing in a, in a line, is uh, beautiful uh, kind of tropical palms. And I took a great shot here, I took a lovely photo here the other day, just as I took the shot of this old facade. There was an old Citroen 2CV car passing at the exact moment and uh, and it looked like something straight out of Havana. I guess this old Citroen dated back to the uh, 1960s or 70s. So it's just great timing. Go and check out the uh, When in Spain Instagram to see that photo. It's When in Spain 1. So as I wind my way around El Puerto, uh, it has struck me just walking up a, a, a quite a busy, nondescript shopping street. And at the end, I could see the kind of unmistakable neo Medeja style arches of what looks like a bullring. And here it is. I've just uh, come out in front of the bullring. Nothing going on here today. There is a bronze statue of a bull just in front of the door to the uh, Plaza de Toros. Uh, this one. I thought I would mention, I'm, most listeners probably know, I'm not a huge fan at all really of Tauramakia uh, and bullfighting. I do check back to an, an early episode I did uh, about bullfighting and I went actually to a corrida in Las Ventas in Madrid uh, and I haven't been back since. Anyway, this one's worth a shout out because it's one of the biggest in Spain, I suppose. It's, uh, it says on the, the door in gold letters, Se construyó año de 1880. Uh, so built in 1880 and it's yeah, your typical bullring, you know, small beige creamy coloured bricks, some uh, ornate blue and white tile work. Plaza de Toros is marked out in uh, quite attractive blue and white tiles. There's uh, three flags bristling in the wind, one from El Puerto, one from uh, Andalusia and the Spanish flag in the middle. The tiles are quite attractive because they've got like geometric design that runs around the bull ring on the outside wall uh, with gold and blue um, and they've got uh, sort of every couple of meters uh, tiled painted onto tiles a bull's head and then a horse's head uh, two floors arches with the doorways the numbered doorways all the way around i think there are 59 doors because the main entrance is number 59 and then the next one along is number one which is actually bricked up the first door up is number two. Um, nothing much going on here today. Uh, I thought it was worth mentioning because it's one of the biggest, I think it's the third biggest in Spain or maybe the fourth, but certainly after Las Ventas in Madrid and uh, the uh, bullring which is in Valencia, which I'm not sure of the name to be honest. Um, yes, it's 99 meters in diameter and can seat 12,000 spectators. A pretty decent size. And just uh, in the hallway of the front door, there's a bullfighter wearing an inscription, uh, not a real bullfighter, <laughs> which is the bullfighter attributed to uh, Jose Lito El Gallo. The inscription says, He who has not seen in El Puerto de Santa Maria bulls does not know what is an evening of bullfight. So I'm walking up a now bustling Calle Luna with a few little chiringuitos and uh, 
terrazas, tables and chairs out. It's kind of busy now. Sun's just really beginning to set. Lovely, bustling atmosphere on a Thursday evening. I'm walking down really Calle Luna, it's the main, main street in the uh, historic centre of the city. Predominantly bars and little tapas bars and some restaurants and a few shops uh, as well. It's really pretty, you know, your typical small town main street with you know, three or four storey sort of townhouses and balconies and beautiful colours. Ambience, what I love, uh, they tend to do a lot in Andalusia, which I love is they string up big white kind of canvases and sheets across across the streets between the, the buildings on each side to shade certain intersections or certain parts of the street where people tend to congregate more. And just walking under these, these kind of cream-coloured long strips of, they look like canvas strips, to block out the sun. Just in the distance, silhouetted against the kind of pink sky is a, a lone palm tree just walking past the uh, Esclavas del Sagrado Corazón Church, the slaves of the Sacred Heart. Lots of ice cream parlours here as well. It's kind of a quite a thing in El Puerto de Santa Maria. Where's a slice of real Andalus? life. Hi, listening to Flamenco on his phone with a beer, his kids screaming in a pushchair. The whole family out sitting on the bench, their kids scooting around on little bicycles as he's just walking into the Plaza de España. Groups, families, teenagers sitting around gossiping and looking at each other's phones. Dogs everywhere. <laughs> uh, what is it? About 10 o'clock now. A little small Plata de España. Very pretty Plata de España. It's full of life this evening. And the uh, Plaza de España on one side dominated by the uh, Iglesia Mayor Prioral. Uh, kind of Gothic style, very ornate archway over the main door. Um, what I like about it is uh, these are flying buttresses. And on these flying buttresses um, are loads and loads of uh, nests for figueñas, for the uh, storks. So lots of stork nests all across uh, the, uh, the, the supporting arches, the flying buttresses, I think they've got, of this basilica. This is one of those bars, one of those situations where you see it and you think, shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I? Um, so I've battled my way through a very noisy terraza. And I'm sat inside, it's pretty warm, this tiny little bar, I mean, a bar called Bar La Aurora. Bar La Aurora. Uh, three, uh, Old boys propping up the bar, sipping their canyas. Three teenage girls have just come in and paid for their drinks and left. Got uh, bottles of uh, sherry all across the back of the bar next to the coffee machine. I just love the uh, the accent down here. And then uh, across the bar, there are all of these uh, 
apostles or pictures of the apostles, Jesus, Mary, and then filling the walls above the Adolecho uh, tiles, which go kind of halfway up the wall. Are all of these uh, posters advertising previous religious processions that have happened during Holy Week, all with the uh, you know, depictions of Jesus on the cross and the big uh, ornate floats. Uh, these are all from uh, Jerez. <laughs> it's a very unique bar. It's kind of one of those places, it's, kind of, you, it's, it's like places like this that you come into that you just think only, only in Spain. Only in Spain. Absolutely wonderful. Full of religious sort of icons everywhere. And just below the actual bar top, <laughs> on the actual wall of the bar, is a, a great blown up image of Jesus being carried on a cross. <laughs> just, I actually didn't realise this at all until just now. <laughs> so there we go. Bar Aurora on the uh, Plaza de España in El Puerto. Come and check it out. So just a few quick tips and information I wanted to run through just before we round off this episode. Um, the Bodegas. Now, I would strongly recommend booking. You can phone or uh, reserve online. I would say this is essential. They get booked up pretty quickly, particularly in the summer months. Um, we naively expected to wander in <laughs> in the morning and reserve for the same afternoon. Impossible. Uh, when we were there uh, in August, um, there was about a three or four day kind of waiting list. Um, so just take that into account if you're only visiting for a day or a, a weekend. Um, plan that in ahead of time. We did uh, a tour and a tasting at Bodegas Osborne. That's just because I was so impressed by their beautiful patio. Um, it is one of the most more, I suppose, well-known and more touristy ones, I guess. But all the same, we had a really good experience. The uh, total tour and uh, tasting lasted I think just a bit over an hour maybe a, an hour and a half really interesting you get to go inside where they age the wines and then you do a little tasting and we opted to do a guided tasting um, where they talk you through a bit more actually the wines that you're tasting that was 22 euros each came with a few little snacks as well um, you can also do uh, a tasting for 18 euros um, but it's not a guided uh, kata it's not a guided tasting it's just uh, you at the end of the tour uh, they have a few uh, glasses of uh, sherry laid out for you to drink Important to note that there are a handful of bodegas around uh, El Puerto that are still functioning, that are open. I would say probably about half a dozen, I think, but the bigger names would be Osborne, as I mentioned. You also have Bodegas Gutierrez Colosia, and you have Bodegas Grant as well. All of those offer tours and tastings as well. And I would say if you're uh, in El Puerto, it's a, a kind of must-do thing. Even if you're not really into sherry, it's just a really nice experience to get to go into uh, inside the bodegas and uh, just the smell and the atmosphere of all this sherry wine um, I think it's a nice way to spend an hour or so of your time and pretty reasonably priced as well so that's the sherry let's talk a bit about food now seafood is king if you're not really into fish and seafood well you will find meat dishes but really uh, the protagonist on most menus is a uh, uh, a wide range of seafood, as you would expect uh, in this in this part of Spain, mostly battered and breadcrumbed and fried, and you're going to find pretty much every type of seafood you've probably ever seen in your life, and more from camarones and small prawns to large prawns, the cigalas, the typical gambas. You've got the langostas, 
you've got the different types of snails, you've got perfevers, you've got and all different types and cuts of octopus uh, as well, along with fish. You can order what people tend to do if they're in a group and what we did a few times is order a large plate to share of fritura, which is a selection of all different types of seafood, uh, which is battered or breadcrumbed and fried. Um, that's a good and quite affordable option, um, I would say. Um, standout places, and we eat really uh, kind of everyday local restaurants and bars, um, but there were a couple of standout places which are worth mentioning. Uh, one is called Romerijo, which is actually, uh, they're actually two sister restaurants. I um, mean, it's kind of well known in the city. Uh, I think they've been operating for about 70 years in El Puerto and uh, they have some establishments as well, I think in Sevilla and in uh, Cadiz City as well. In El Puerto, there's one right near the center on the road that runs along the river. That was absolutely packed. So we opted to go to the one over the road uh, across the other side of the Guadalete River in a more kind of industrial zone. So it's not particularly picturesque, picturesque area but the restaurant is much much quieter much more spacious huge terrafa and it's a really light and airy restaurant as well and interestingly it has a little uh, seafood fishmongers shop or counter inside the restaurant and uh, you can actually buy seafood as well to, to take home to take away and prepare yourself so that's quite a nice touch that's one recommendation my second recommendation is going to be somewhere really special this is uh, a fine dining restaurant um, called Toka, which is actually spelled T-O-H-Q-A, not very far from the Bodegas Osborne. We discovered it wandering uh, back after our tasting there. We stuck our head in and we managed to get uh, a booking uh, cancellation for the evening. Um, and uh, it's an interesting place, it's an historic building, uh, which most buildings are in that neighbourhood around there. It used to be a convent, I believe. Um, it's very uh, kind of minimalist, but with these beautiful, colourful artworks on the wall. Um, and the lovely thing about it is it's got this very lush uh, little secret um, hidden internal uh, patio garden, which is where we dined. Absolutely spectacular. Um, and it's just uh, a really interesting kind of take on... Uh, seafood and fusion, um, slightly experimental. The dishes are really elegant, uh, really beautifully presented. It's run by two brothers who really focus on collaborating with local farmers, local fishermen, lo uh, local cheesemakers, uh, all local produce from the surrounding area uh, of El Puerto. Um, so I would highly recommend that. Um, they do offer uh, lunch and, and dinner and they offer a range of tasting menus as well, which is what we did. And finally, I wanted to talk about beaches because uh, all around El Puerto de Santa Maria, uh, there are lots and lots of lots of lovely beaches. We are on the uh, Costa de la Luz. And I'm going to call out a few of my favourites. And I'm going to talk about a slightly annoying weather phenomenon, <laughs> which could cause problems as it did with us. <laughs> I really like Chipiona. Chipiona is further north up the coast, about, I think, about 45 minutes to an hour drive. Lovely, wide, sandy beach. It's got a beautiful kind of sand-coloured kind of modernista-style church right on the beach. Uh, the main beach there is called Playa de Regala. It's a very lively town as well. It's uh, quite, quite seaside resorty, I suppose, but loads of restaurants, lots of life. Very, very busy when we were there. Um, but uh, I really liked it. My next recommendation would be the Playa de la Barrosa in Chiclana, Chiclana de la Frontera. Chiclana de la Frontera is actually uh, inland, away from the sea, but the beach of Chiclana, uh, the main beach of Chiclana is called Playa de la Barrosa. I really like that beach, really, really good, sandy, pretty beach with plenty of uh, services and uh, restaurants and bars and everything else that you could want. And then in and around El Puerto itself, beaches, well, the biggest beach, I guess, would be the Playa de Val de la Grana. From the centre, it's probably maybe a 15-minute drive. Very large, expansive beach. And from there, you can just see the dome of the Cathedral of Cadiz across the bay there. It's a nice beach, a bit more kind of resorty, modern, you know, other than the beach and a few kind of, uh, you know, bars and very kind of average restaurants 
along the strip there. There isn't a huge amount more. You also have Playa de la Puntilla, which is really just on the mouth of the uh, estuary of the Guadalete River as it comes out into the Bay of Cadiz. Uh, again, it's a small beach um, with not many facilities, particularly. In terms of beaches in El Puerto, uh, we're actually more fond of the, uh, the beach at Puerto Sherry, as the locals call it, Puerto Cherry, <laughs> which is a sort of, uh, it's like a harbour uh, surrounded by a kind of modern development of, of apartments and restaurants and bars. But the beach is actually really, really nice. It's quite a small cove. It's called Playa de la Muralla. Um, there's a sort of ruins of an old mirador alongside the beach. The, the lovely thing about the beach is that uh, it, it slopes very, very gently into the sea uh, and you can walk a long way out into the sea and you're only up to your waist or not even up to your knees. Now one thing that's worth mentioning that could affect uh, your beach time <laughs> is the dreaded Levante wind, the Levant wind which originates in the centre of the Mediterranean. Now the Levant wind um, which can occur usually between May and October, when uh, the winds are at their most intense. And uh, this wind can uh, be troublesome for many of the beaches along the Costa de la Luz and around El Puerto, the ones that I've mentioned, because the wind is so strong that it actually makes spending any time on the beach at all impossible. You will literally get sand blasted, sand in your eyes, sand in your mouth you won't be able to anchor down any kind of uh, uh, sun umbrella and it will just make your time on the beach pretty miserable. Unless that's your kind of thing and you're into, uh, I don't know, kite surfing or surfing, then yes, okay. Um, but if you want a nice relaxing uh, day at the beach, then it's going to cause some problems. And it happened to us. And it's happened to me and Karina before, in fact. Uh, this time we decided to take a trip down to uh, Barabate, which has got a lovely wide uh, golden sandy beach. We arrived there. We should have checked the forecast. We didn't. And we arrived and we thought, hmm, there aren't many people on the beach. And as we got closer and closer to the beach, we realised that that Levante wind was blowing. Um, and uh, we had to abort the mission. So this Levante wind originates actually in the uh, central Mediterranean, around the kind of area around the uh, Balearic Islands. And the weather system, the wind picks up there and it travels westwards across the Mediterranean and it's actually uh, really speeds up when that wind is funneled through the Strait of Gibraltar and out the other side and remember all of these beaches El Puerto Cadiz are not on the Mediterranean Sea they're on the Atlantic Ocean the other side of the Strait of Gibraltar and this wind accelerates through there and really blows hard when it does blow all along the Costa de la Luz the other problem is that these winds don't just last for a day or a couple of hours. They can actually last and quite often for three or four days at a time, sometimes even maybe a week or more. Um, and apparently they average uh, about 165 days a year. In fact, these periods of the Levante wind are known as Levanteras. You might hear the locals talking about the puta levantera. The, the problem also is that it does bring quite intense heat with it. When we were there, we had a few days of very humid, almost unbearably humid weather, taking into account that El Puerto is kind of on a delta of salt flats and marshland as well, which adds to the humidity. Um, so that's something to take into account uh, for sure. Um, what can you do when this happens? Well, you can opt not to make those days beach days. However, and the locals know this, they will have their little secret beaches to go to when the Levante wind is blowing and they still want to go and have a swim and spend time on the beach. And so the best option, and this is what we did after we discovered the wind in uh, Barbate was blowing pretty strong, is we opted to go and spend some time in the Calas, the little coves. Now these coves, obviously, uh, are much more sheltered and they're is a string of beautiful coves about 45 minutes to an hour uh, south 
of El Puerto de Santa Maria. And, uh, well, that's what most people do. Of course, when the Levante wind is blowing, everyone else has the same idea. So these tiny little beach coves can also get very busy. The one we went to was the Playa de Roche, and that also has a little cala, which is a cove, Cala de Roche. Further south, you have a couple more, Cala del Pato, the Duck Cove, Cala el Frailecillo, which I think is a little friar, as in the, the friar, the like a monk, I think. And then just around the Cabo Roche, you have Cala del Aceite, the olive oil cove. What a lovely name. So those are the best options when the Levante wind is blowing. So I'll leave it there for this episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this little foray around uh, El Puerto. And uh, as I said, do go and check out the town if you happen to be in the area around Cadiz. And just a quick note to mention, if you're new to the When in Spain podcast, do go and check out the When in Spain podcast on Instagram. The handle is at When in Spain one i often post photos which correspond to the podcast episode so you will see a couple on there from el puerto de santa maria if you want to put some images to the uh, descriptions and the sounds and if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast please do consider supporting when in spain by signing up to be a patron at patreon.com forward slash when in spain Until the next episode, I shall bid you all hasta luego. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.